0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to True Crime Works, a true crime podcast. This is episode two. Ronald Clark O'Brien, a.k.a. The Man Who Killed Halloween, a.k.a. The Candyman. Thanks for joining me again on True Crime Works. This is your host, Ash, and this week we have another Halloween-centered episode for you today. And... First of all, I want to provide you a trigger warning. Although this case is not particularly graphic or gory in detail, the crime is against a child, and some of you may find this disturbing. If this is the case, you may want to skip this episode. All right, so let's get started. Halloween is normally a celebration of costumes and fun. Everyone runs around in the street, and neighbors pour candy for the kids. It's usually very enjoyable. But Halloween 1974 in the town of Pasadena, Texas was a complete different story. Ronald Clark O'Brien lived in the neighborhood of Deer Park, Texas. He went to the neighboring Pasadena to trick or treat with his kids. He was well aware of the neighborhood and the people who lived there as well. There was nothing to be afraid of. It was a complete safe area. But what happened that fateful night of Halloween shook everyone in that town to the core. Halloween was never the same since. Nobody was able to sleep that night for sure. So who actually killed Halloween and why do they call him that? Well, Ronald O'Brien lived in the Deer Park area of Texas with his wife, Denine, and their two kids, Timothy, who was eight years old, and Elizabeth, who was five years old. They were a church-going family, but like many families, they had been struggling to make ends meet, and they had been struggling for quite a long time now. Ronald was an optician and worked at the Texas State Optical near Houston, Texas. He was also the deacon at their church, Second Baptist Church. Danine was a housewife who spent her majority of the time raising the kids. Elizabeth and Timothy were just everyday kids. They would spend their mornings at school in their evenings, playing around outside with their friends or each other. And then they would talk to their parents at the dinner table about their day. They seemed to be a very wholesome and loving family at the same time. But there was something wrong with Ronald, deep down inside. You see, he had never been good with money, and his family had been paying for it. They did manage somehow, but they were in so much debt. Deneen would smile and serve the family dinner, but on the inside, there had to be so much pressure on her and so much stress. They were really close friends with their neighbors, the Bates. The Bates also lived a happy, normal life together. Jimmy Bates lived with his wife, Donna Bates, and their two kids his son, Mark, and his daughter, Kim. Jim and Ronald were pretty good friends, and they had been for a while. They had kids around the same age, so that made things really easy. And, of course, they spent a lot of time together. And the kids knew each other very well. On the night of October 31st, 1974, Halloween night... The O'Brien family sat down at the dinner table, enjoying their meal. The joy of Halloween made it impossible for the kids to contain their excitement. They sat down for an early dinner and dived into their food. They knew that the sooner they would finish their food, the quicker they can go out and trick-or-treat. Ronald decided to invite Jimmy and his kids for the festivities of trick-or-treating as well. All of them were very excited to spend this time together. Soon, all of them would go out for trick-or-treating. It looked like it was going to rain outside because there were clouds up in the skies. The streets had started to be covered with mist. Ronald asked his kids if they wanted their raincoats. And of course, they answered no, because they were kids and they obviously wanted to show off their Halloween costumes. Who has time for rain gear anyway? Ronald decided to go inside and got an umbrella for the kids, just in case, and his raincoat for himself. Now, the group of six of them were ready to start their journey of trick-or-treating, The four kids ran ahead going from door to door in the hunt for candy. They would ring every bell or knock on every door that didn't have a bell. They would always complain that the fathers just couldn't keep up with them. They were just going too slow for them, and the kids were just so excited. They wanted to run and go from house to house without slowing down for the adults. Both the fathers were behind, and they were just discussing adult things like The town and raising kids, having a family, all that. They had covered two entire streets. Then the six of them reached a house that had the lights shut off. This was kind of not normal because around this neighborhood everyone seemed to celebrate Halloween, and every house seemed to give out candy to the kids. But this one was pitch dark. The father said, hey, why don't we go to another house, but the kids had other ideas. They dashed towards the house and rang the doorbell, waiting for someone to come outside and give them candy, but that never happened. No one opened the door and they didn't hear any noise inside. Jimmy peeped inside, but couldn't see anything in the house. So then, they all decided to go on their way. The kids soon forgot about this and dashed away again. Ronald decided to stay behind and check out the house while everyone else went on their way. Jimmy decided to catch up with the kids, too. So they all continued on their journey, trick-or-treating when finally Ronald caught up to the group. Jimmy asked him what was going on with the house, and Ronald said that he, quote, couldn't find anything suspicious. The kids were too excited to be stopped or think anything of it. Ronald then removed from under his raincoat sleeves a bunch of pixie sticks. Now, these were really big, and the kids were very excited about this because this was a big treat. I remember when I would go trick-or-treating, the full-size candy bars were always the best, and very rare, too. Ronald said, quote, Someone has a lot of money to spare this Halloween. And he winked at Jimmy and passed out one stick each to the children. The group had managed to knock on only a few more doors before it started to drizzle. The kids decided to call it a night because they had so much candy at this point and it wasn't worth getting rained on for this. Ronald asked the kids how big their candy stashes were and they all replied, it's huge and smiled. Both the fathers looked at their happy kids and smiled themselves. They knew making their kids happy was something really special. On the way back to their houses, Ronald found a familiar face across the street. It was this kid named Harry, someone that they knew from church. He called out and asked the kid to come over. So, of course, the kid ran across the street to greet them. Ronald asked him how his candy stash was, and he said it was pretty huge. Ronald then stuck out his hands and gave him the last remaining pixie stick. Harry was very excited about this, of course, and thanked him and went on his way. They went back to the Bates' house. Deneen was sitting there with Donna, gossiping about women things, probably. They noticed everyone was back and welcomed the group and asked about their candy. They talked for a while and enjoyed their time together, then finally decided it was time to leave. They walked out with their kids toward their own home, but on the way back, Denine remembered she had to do something. She said for Ronald to go ahead with the kids because she needed to be somewhere but would be back soon. So Ronald took the kids and went home and didn't think anything of it. Back at the Bates' house, the kids were running around, both still energetic and excited from the night. Jimmy had been sitting down on the couch watching something on TV while his wife sat at the dinner table reading the paper. The children were playing with the candy and making a lot of noise, but the mother didn't really enjoy that and asked them to stop. They both asked their parents for candy before they went to bed. And their mom decided that was a bad idea because she didn't want them having a sugar rush at night, of course. Jim had a report to his office that night. So he got ready to leave and said goodbye to his wife and kids. The kids asked him for candy, and he decided to let his wife take care of that. Kim and Mark both went to sleep, and their mother was sitting in front of the TV, enjoying her night. Over at the O'Brien house, Denine had been gone for a while, and Ronald and Timothy were playing in the living room with his toy cars. Timothy asked his dad for a few candies. He knew that his mom would probably be mad at the both of them, but she wasn't there. Ronald just couldn't say no to him. It's really hard to say no to your child on Halloween when they just want some candy before bed. Ronald said, okay, and Timothy went to retrieve his candy stash where he kept it. He came back with the bag and he was holding the biggest candy bar he could find from the stash. It was the pixie stick. And he took that back to his room where he could eat it in peace. He had problems getting the staple pin off of the top of it. And he tried that for a while, tried it again, then he finally gave up. There was only one thing that could be done now, and that was ask his dad for help. Ronald was on the couch reading the newspaper when Timothy came running to him and asked him to help him open up the candy. Ronald, in one snap, removed the staple pin from the top of the candy, then handed it back to his son. The happiness on Timothy's face was evident. He clenched the stick in his hand and poured the white powder into his mouth all in one go. Timothy had eaten enough pixie sticks in his life to know the taste. And they didn't taste bitter, they tasted sweet. But this one tasted bitter. The bitter powder was actually hurting his throat and left his mouth all dry. Timothy complained about the candy and started to cough. His father dashed into the kitchen and brought a box of Kool-Aid for his son. He chugged the box to soothe his throat, but it didn't work at all. His coughing got more intense with each passing second. His stomach also started to hurt. He was about to puke. Something was intensely wrong with him. Ronald took Timothy, Ronald took Timothy to the bathroom where he puked continuously. The poor eight-year-old boy was finding it hard to breathe. His stomach was hurting so bad, the pain was like nothing he had ever experienced in his life. As his body ejected everything from his stomach, Timothy continued to wail out in pain and cry. His father just held him tight while he continued to vomit in discomfort. Ronald took Timothy to his room and laid him on his bed. He called the ambulance and explained to him the situation. They said they would be right there. It took them a while to come, and when they did, Timothy had lost the battle of his life. He lay there in the bed with white foam oozing from his mouth. He had been taken to the hospital, but it can make no difference anymore. The eight-year-old boy had lost his life on the night of Halloween, and nothing was going to bring him back. Denine received the news of what had happened. She screamed till her voice cracked. She had lost her eight-year-old boy. She had lost her Timmy. Ronald just held her in his arms, trying to calm and comfort her. While all this happened, young Elizabeth could not imagine what was going on. She couldn't really comprehend what happened because she was only five years old. She had lost her brother and could feel the sorrow and emptiness of him not being there, but she was still too young to know for how long Timothy would truly be gone. The police department of Pasadena had been called right away when they heard about this. Mike Hinton, the Harris County prosecutor, was working with the police that night and was there when the call had been received. It was not an everyday thing when late at night there was a call of an eight-year-old boy dying the night of Halloween. He made a call to one of his forensic doctor friends in the area who had been working with him. The doctor understood the urgency of the situation and told him to check for a smell coming from Timothy's mouth. So Hinton called the morgue and asked them if there was a smell coming from his mouth. They said there indeed was. They described the smell and said it was similar to the scent of almonds. The doctor then told Hinton, when he received this information, that he had been poisoned with potassium cyanide. Now, if this was true, this was not just a death on Halloween. It was the murder of an eight-year-old boy on Halloween. The police went to the hospital when the information about the cyanide had come out. Ronald was at the hospital when he was questioned by the police about what happened. He explained to them that Timothy was eating the candy and complained that it tasted bitter. The powder inside the pixie stick is supposed to be crushed refined sugar, which is a white powder. Potassium cyanide is also a white powder. The police thought it was obvious that the pixie stick had been poisoned. The police decided to collect all the candies that had been exchanged that night. Ronald told them that he gave the neighbor kid, Harry, a pixie stick also. This is kind of crazy, too. Harry's parents heard about this from the police, and they checked to see where the pixie stick was, but could not find it. They were frantic and called the police to help them. The police car drove to Harry's house, where he had been sent to sleep early that night. The police started searching for the candy around his house, while their parents tried to make sure the boy was okay. He was lying on the bed, sleeping, with the pixie stick clenched in his hand. Harry's dad walked over and saw he was breathing. He was just asleep. His dad removed the stick from his hand and handed it to the police. They noticed that Harry had tried to open it, but could not because of the staple pin on top of it. It was too heavy for him to open. Luckily, he was safe and okay. The five other pixie sticks had been found by the police, and luckily, no other children were harmed. Now all they had to do was hunt for the murderer. Having just lost his child, Ronald was having difficulties finding the right memory of what happened that night. Every time the police asked him questions, he had a different answer, it seemed. But finally, he gave them enough of a description of the house where he got the candies from. So the police decided to follow up on this, of course. They knew that the group had only covered a few streets, so it should not be that hard for them to find the house. They started taking rounds on the streets, trying to find the house that Ronald gave the description of. Hours passed and they just made circles trying to find the house, but they couldn't find it. It was nowhere to be found. They searched for almost an entire day before they called it off. Then they called Ronald back to the police station and questioned everything he said again. He said, you know, it was a misty night. The lights were off. I couldn't really see. Plus, he was going through so much. He wasn't really thinking straight. The police knew they had to find this house because this was potentially the person who spiked the candies. The police decided to take Ronald with them on their next search for the house. So that Sunday, they took him with them in the police car. And they crossed that house, finally. They probably went past it a few times before, but the house did fit the criteria. So they had to check it out. They decided to drop Ronald back off because they couldn't question the house with him there. They dropped him off at home. Then they decided to go to the house. They knocked on the door and it was soon answered. It belonged to Courtney Melvin an air traffic controller at the airport. Mr. Melvin welcomed them into the house. He lived there with his wife and their daughter. He was questioned about his whereabouts on the night of Halloween because he was the main suspect in this investigation at the time. He told them he was at his shift at the airport all night and didn't come home till around 11. The police asked them about the lights that were shut off and his wife said, that they ran out of candy and just decided to turn off the lights and not answer the door because they didn't want the kids to come and then not have any candy for them, which makes perfect sense. The police couldn't just trust his word, though. They decided to go to the airport for confirmation of his claims, and that they did. His coworkers all vouched for him and even signed affidavits, As well so only Ronald knew where those candies had come from and there was something off about the statements he made now it was finally time for the police to pull the truth from him now the town was pretty small and also everyone was pretty close-knit people knew each other here so someone from the insurance agency called the police station because of some suspicious behavior in one of their clients. And the client was, you guessed it, Ronald Clark O'Brien. The agent at the insurance firm said that Ronald called the agency last Friday morning asking about the claims to the insurance he had in his son's name. So, Timothy... Had been poisoned on Thursday night. And his father was busy calling the insurance agency regarding the claim the very next day? That could not be right. Ronald was now very much on the police's radar. They had the insurance agency send over all the files they had on Ronald and his finances. They didn't have to look very far to find out that there was a lot of things that were off about Ronald's finances. He was in debt of more than $100,000. Now, adjusting for inflation, today's money, that would be around $520,000. That's right, $520,000 in debt. His house was also near foreclosure and his car would be repossessed soon. So earlier that year in 1974, he minimized the insurance on him and his wife. At the same time, he took up insurance of $10,000 on both kids. It didn't end there. Earlier in October that month, Ronald took out an additional $20,000 of insurance on both of his kids. That meant Ronald would get about $60,000 if something happened to both of his kids. And that's exactly what would have happened if Elizabeth had eaten her pixie stick as well. This placed motive for Ronald as a suspect. And it was now time to question his wife, Deneen. They question her about her whereabouts all night and very specific details. This tires a person out mentally. She said she didn't know if he had been off lately or if his demeanor had changed. After more questioning, they decided to tell her about the call he made about the insurance. She was shocked about this. She had no idea, she said. She started to mention other incidents as well. She said he had made fake claims before to get money out of the insurance company. She also said he had never been able to hold a steady job. She said he switched jobs over 20 times, 20 times which, of course, did not help their financial situation. She also told them about all the debt that they had. The financial motives were significant enough to have Ronald arrested by the Pasadena Police Department. He was taken to the DA, and charges were pressed against him. Now he was in lockup, and it was time for the police to find more evidence to make the case foul-proof. They questioned everyone from his workplace because they spent so much time with him. They questioned about his behavior. Ronald had also been taking college classes at Harris County Community College. One of his teachers mentioned that he had this unusual interest in learning about poison and also confirmed he had been asking about the quantity required to kill animals. People at his work mentioned that he would ask about chemical stores where he could buy cyanide from in the past. They also found that he knew someone from the chemical industry and they questioned this person. He worked for Arco Chemical Company and told them that Ronald asked if he could get cyanide for himself But the person said they didn't distribute it in a quantity lower than five pounds. So the conversation ended there, and he didn't hear from him again. Then they decided to search his house and found something really bad. They found a pair of scissors in the basement, which had a white powder residue similar to that of the pixie sticks. They searched His house and found adding machine tapes. They checked the total and they saw that Ronald had been calculating how to pay off his bills and debts with the money he would receive from the insurance claim. It took about half a year for Ronald Clark O'Brien to get his trial. It started May 5th, 1975 in the Texas court. The defense had quite the battle. It was clear that Ronald had a motive, and it was also clear that he did this. The prosecution made it clear that Ronald's motive was to spread the tainted cannies and make it look like a random incident, but None of the other kids had eaten their candies, thankfully, so Ronald was not able to hide from the police. There was a struggle in proving his guilt because they actually had not been able to find the source of the cyanide where he got it from, but there was those contaminated scissors, so that helped. The hearing lasted until the 3rd of June. On that day, it took the jury less than an hour to come up with their verdict. Their verdict was guilty. And within 10 minutes, he had been ordered to the electric chair for death. Even after this, Ronald had still not confessed to his crimes. He had been trying to prove his innocence as if he were truly innocent. But that didn't not go as planned. Even after he was sent to the chair, he continued to fight the case and took it up with the Supreme Court. He exhausted all of his possibilities, and nothing worked. On March 31, 1984, Ronald Clark O'Brien had been sent to death with a lethal injection. The U.S. government by that time had deemed the electric chair was inhumane and a torturous means of killing. So that's why lethal injection was used instead. Halloween usually brings joy to the kids, and the adults too. I mean, who wouldn't enjoy the chance of dressing up and going from house to house, receiving candies from neighbors and strangers? And Halloween, unlike any other holiday where we celebrate in the privacy of our own home, Halloween brings the community together. It gives us memories that we cherish with each other as a community. But ever since that Halloween in Pasadena, Texas, things have been different. It took families years to come out of their houses on Halloween. It had been lost in that town for so many years. Now, the neighbors and friends' the Bates, had been shaken for a long time. I mean, Timothy was like a son to Jim, and he lost him as well. Ronnie and Jim had been friends for a long time now. And unfortunately, Ronald had risked the life of his child as well. Jimmy really wanted to believe this wasn't true. He wanted to believe this was a lie. But at the end of the day... You can't forget someone, no matter how close you are to them, that tried to steal your kids away from you. And Ronald did just that. Deneen, in one night, had lost both her son and her husband. She blamed herself for what happened for a long time. She thought if she could just see the signs of Ronald's unraveling in the early stages, she could have stopped this. But she just never expected him to go solo just for money. He was a loving father. He had always been. And now he had taken everything from her for what? For money? She had been wishing for the death penalty all throughout the case. He had no one in his corner. On the day Ronald had been called out guilty by the court, Denine had filed for divorce against him. She didn't want anything to do with this man. He was just a form of evil. She ended up leaving the area and remarried. Ever since then, she tries to keep herself hidden from the news and everything in the past. She now lives with her husband and her daughter, Elizabeth, as a small, happy family. As Elizabeth grew up, she knew she had been a part of tragic history. She asked to see her dad many times but her mother made sure she didn't. Ronald was nothing but her biological father. That was all. It took a while for Elizabeth to understand this, why her mother wouldn't let her meet her own dad or visit him. But she was able to get her head around that, that her father tried to kill her as well. And then the wishes to see him vanished. Before he died, Ronald gave his last words, and I'm about to read what he said. He said, quote, what is about to transpire in a few moments is wrong. However, we as human beings do make mistakes and errors. This execution is one of those wrongs, yet doesn't mean our whole system of justice is wrong. Therefore, I would forgive all who have taken part in any way in my death. Also, to anyone I have offended in any way during my 39 years, I pray and ask your forgiveness, just as I forgive anyone who offended me in any way. And I pray and ask God's forgiveness for all of us, respectively, as human beings. To my loved ones, I extend my undying love. To those close to me, know in your hearts I love you one and all. God bless you all, and may God's best blessings be always yours. Ronald C. O'Brien. P.S. During my time here, I have been treated well by all TDC personnel. End quote. So to his ending day, Ronald was not ready to accept what he had done or take responsibility for it. Halloween could never be the same for his family and the entire area of Pasadena. When he was finally executed, there was a crowd of over 200 people who had gone to celebrate. They wanted to celebrate Timmy, the boy who had lost his life eating candy on Halloween night. They were there for young Timothy. Ronald's death was executed on March 31st, 1984 at 12.48 a.m., And when this happened, the crowd of 200 people cheered and shouted, quote, trick or treat. Wow. This was such a sad case because this was this boy's dad that did this. Parents are supposed to keep children safe. And this parent murdered his own son for what? Money? That's so sad. It also changed Halloween for a number of people. I remember trick-or-treating. A lot of the parents would check the children's candy before they could enjoy it. And even some families would send the candy off to the local hospital or police station just to make sure or get it x-rayed. It's important to stay safe out there. You don't know where a danger could come from thank you so much for listening to episode two of true crime works i really enjoy making this for you episode one was a hit and i really appreciate each of you that listened to this remember to follow me on Instagram at truecrimeworks. If you have any ideas for upcoming cases that you would like me to cover, you can either send me a message on Instagram or email me, truecrimeworks at gmail.com. I'm always looking for new ideas. Also, if you enjoy the show, please send me a five-star review and rating on Apple Podcasts. That really helps the show, and it helps others find it as well. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next week.